Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast on A Very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas, the new Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas movie. <laughs> and here with me in the studio is Forrest Wickman. Hey, Forrest. Hey, Dana. You're an editorial assistant at Slate. Uh, that's right. And an erstwhile intern of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They grow up so the, fast. I was in the Metcalfian chair before, and now I guess I'm in uh, the guest chair. That's right. I've actually podcasted with you before, but I've never spoiled that's a movie right. with you before. You were just on the Gab Fest. So I'm really happy to spoil with you, especially yeah. because we just rolled out of the movie. This is quite unusual. Usually there's at least a night that passes in between before we can schedule getting in here and recording. But we just walked out. We didn't say a word about the movie, so right. I'm not quite sure Quiet what your reaction was. Over. So first of all, before we get to spoiling, what did you think? Um, I was really excited for this for this movie. I think more so than you, Dana. I'm I'm pretty close to the target audience for this. I think, and I enjoyed the first two, but for reasons that I think we should get into outside of a few scenes, I, it didn't really work for me. The main reason being that I did not think the characters were as likable, and. I think there was much more of a sense that instead of going after a bunch of burgers or escaping with their lives, they were sort of going after responsibility, and that's not what a stoner comedy should go <laughs> pursue. Yeah, um, you're right. Well, you're right. This is the first time, right? It's the very first Harold and Kumar. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, right. which I shall attempt to convince you is the the, the summit superior, of the art yes. of, of Harold and Kumar is basically about nothing, right? It's one of those stoner right. comedies about a quest for burgers and fries that turns into one crazy night that they can't they can't get home again. Exactly. I love the first Harold and Kumar movie, and I really love these characters. I think even in a fairly sloppy comedy like this one, there's just something endearing about these two guys, and, and Cal Penn and John Cho have really brought them to life. They're the kind of characters to me that seem to exist outside of the movies. It's like they're better right. than the movies they're in. Right. I, I mean, they play around, they even play around with their uh, personas in this a little bit. There's a there's a brief passing reference. While, while both guys seem very smart and relaxed in real life, just like in the movies, Cal Penn has been working for the Obama administration in some sort of outreach division. And so there was a passing reference. Yeah, I think he um, just left that. the White House after having worked you know, for basically most of the, the administration. Right. Uh, it's unclear to me whether he's back there now, but... Um, Definitely, he was on sabbatical to, to finish this movie. What is the reference to that exactly? Oh, it's just that they, when they're going into a party, they say, let's tell them that you work for the White House, like exactly. to impress the people exactly. at the party. He says, nobody would ever believe that. And there were actually a lot, I, I don't know if there were a lot more winking references than in the previous movies, but there were definitely a lot of winking references both to things, parts of the characters' personas outside of the movie and to the previous movies in a way that started to grade on me. Yeah, this movie was definitely the most self-referential in relation to the Neil Patrick Harris character, too, which I can't wait to which, get to that part. Yeah, but so let's set it up. As you say, this is for the first time Harold and Kumar, or at least Harold, have moved into the world of adult responsibility. Right. So six years have passed. The first two movies basically we were two consecutive days. I think, yeah, I don't know where I got that idea. I guess just because they say, oh, we're almost 30. And it sure, seemed like they sure. were in, they had just, they had just graduated college, graduated. so they were in their mid-20s somewhere, right. the last one. Right. And the, the second movie takes place only a day after the first one. So this is a dramatic uh, jump forward, leap forward into the future. Right. So as we begin the movie, Harold and Kumar, who were erstwhile college roommates and, and stoner buddies having adventures together, have now grown apart. They haven't talked to each other in some number of years. And Harold, as we sort of saw he would have done in the earlier movies from the route he was on, has right. gone the responsible route. He's married to Maria, who's the girl he was pursuing in the last movie. It's Christmas Eve, and he's got a dilemma involving a Christmas tree. So he's got basically until 2 o'clock in the morning when his wife's family gets back from midnight mass. Right, right. To, uh, to replace the Christmas tree that he's accidentally set on fire because... Because there's a joint that arrives for Kumar, and then Kumar takes it over to his place. And, of course, it's some sort of magical Christmas joint that, when thrown out the window, boomerangs exactly back in through the other window. It later turns out at the end the of the movie that Santa Claus is the Santa, one who sent the joint right. to bring the two estranged together. friends close together. But the yeah. moment that Kumar decides to blaze up 
and light the joint, he sets the Christmas tree on fire, right? right. So the rest of the movie is how are they going to replace this Christmas tree before Danny Trejo, who plays the scary Latino father-in-law of Harold, right. gets back and discovers that his beloved Christmas tree that he spent eight years growing has been burned to a crisp. Yeah. I was actually kind of lost, uh, uh, not to jump away from the plot too much, but very quickly. It, was, it took a little while to figure out what their quest was. I don't know if it actually took longer in time, but at least going into the first two movies, you know the first movie, they're trying to get the White Castle. The second movie, they're trying to escape from Guantanamo Bay. The third movie isn't called uh, Harold and Kumar Try to Retrieve the 12-Foot <laughs> Douglas fur, fur um, as it's constantly referred to. So, yeah, it does take a while to set up because we have to see what they're each doing in their own lives. Oh, another big important thing to spoil that happens very early on in the movie is that Kumar's estranged, semi-estranged girlfriend comes to him in the slovenly apartment. It's actually still him and Harold's old apartment from the old movies. He's still living there. He hasn't gone anywhere in life because he's basically a lazy stoner who just failed a drug test for getting into med school. And his girlfriend comes to him and tells him she's pregnant. So he handles this in grand Kumar irresponsible manner by saying, oh, dude, just give me an hour to get sober and I can deal with this. And she goes storming out. So that's another subplot that... It's an undercurrent that's, that exists throughout the whole movie, although it's really barely addressed after that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, That seemed like a pretty major plot point, actually, to let lie so dormant. That would really so affect concerned. your night, They seem right? much more concerned about the, Chris, the, about the 12-foot fur than Right. The, your Christmas Eve would be pretty significantly altered by that piece of information. Uh, so this one crazy night that they embark on involves, well, it involves a lot of things, but among other things, they each have a new friend now, which is a really, really thrown away f- potential of this movie. Both Harold and Kumar have gotten themselves a new friend, and there's a rivalry between the two friends and the two of them playing the new friends off of each other, that could have been really great, right? Right, right. But but it really does get thrown away. So Harold's friend is even more square than him. He's this suburban dad who you know doesn't curse, doesn't smoke pot, doesn't drink, doesn't do anything. Right. And, what do you uh, even say the S? He says the S word for screw. <laughs> right. And uh, and Kumar's new friend is I thought the most wasted character in the whole Absolutely. movie. Just sort of I don't know. A, a nerdy dude who's trying to get Kumar to come to this right. party with him in Manhattan. And these friends really get thrown away, and there's a lot of screen time wasted on what happens to the two friends when they get separated from Harold and Kumar. Right. I think both you and I felt the movie lost lost all of its momentum then. And, yeah, anytime it would cut back. So the, so the two friends um, come along, and there's a sort of additional quest subplot where uh, Kumar's friend, who's a younger guy, or at least acts a lot younger, he's more the, the mental age of Kumar, he's trying to hook up with a young girl that I don't know exactly how old uh, she's supposed to be, but it makes him additionally unlikable in the movie a little bit creepier, I thought, that she is supposed to be significantly younger and possibly underage. And a virgin, right? Well, I mean, the whole joke is that her name's Mary and she's a virgin and it's Christmas Eve and she's texting him saying, you know, if you come to my party, then you can deflower me. And that was from the beginning to me. It it wasn't even the actor's fault, really. It was just that was just the most boring quest. And I could care less about whether this guy bags this girl or not. But it became a pretty significant part of the, the movie because then her father played by Elias Codius is is a gangster, a Russian gangster who is not happy to you know come home and find this wild druggy party going on, and what appears to be a scene of forced fellatio with Harold and Kumar and his daughter, which is actually them trying to pry right. her off of them. Um, so before we get too much further into spoiling the plot, we can talk a little bit about uh, some of the cameos, some of which we liked, some of which we may have been a little more wasted. I think one we really both liked a lot and thought was one of the standout scenes in the movie was Neil Patrick Harris's at this point much anticipated appearance in the movie as himself as he's as, played in all as three himself, movies which is sort of an alternate version of himself in the previous two movies he's played this very womanizing character 
in the first movie, when he first appeared, he was much more of a nostalgic figure, whereas now, you know, he, it sort of feels like he's everywhere. He's hosting the Tonys. He's on How I Met My Mother. And his persona, especially in the Tonys-type context, is, a you know, he's known as an out gay man. And so I, I think they can't play off the nostalgia as much. But I, I think they go exactly I, – I should have foreseen it, but I didn't. They go exactly the right direction. I think what it. this movie does with Neil Patrick Harris and he himself is brilliant. And it's the funniest exactly. part of the movie. If the whole movie could have kept – to that level of the, the scene where they meet up or the couple scenes where they meet up with, with Neil Patrick Harris, it would have been really, really funny. I mean, like most film comedies, I think this is spotty and it doesn't really mind being spotty. It's right. basically a series of sketch ideas kind of thrown wildly around, but that's one sketch that really works. Right. So to get into the details of, of what happens, we, we come upon Neil Patrick Harris and he's part of a, a big um, Rockefeller Center type uh, Christmas ex- extravaganza. Yeah, he's basically hosting the Rockettes show, right? The, the Rockettes show. And uh, what he's come upon is, you know, his career appears to be doing well, and he's basically been pretending to be a, a gay man, uh, so, sort of somebody like who Neil Patrick Harris is in real life, and he's really just using it as a, a ploy to, to get pussies. Right, so there's, so there's a scene that he gets one of the Rockettes to come to his dressing room on the grounds that, hey, I'm gay, I'm just going to give you a massage and relax you or whatever. And it's just it sounds so corny and lame, but he plays that scene hilariously, absolutely hilarious with this whole kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing, right? Where he yeah, kind of goes from the sweet gay guy to the lecherous straight guy within one expression. Also, his boyfriend, I think it's his real life boyfriend, appears, okay. or maybe they're married now, I'm not sure, and and, and plays his boyfriend. And right. there's a whole scene where there's sort of, you know, obvious beards, right, for each other. They're they're both pretending to be gay in order to advance right. their careers, and they're all kissy-kissy in front of other people and then flipping, them, flipping each other off behind, behind people's backs. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I'm not the first person to say this, but I think one of the better parts about the Harold and Kumar trilogy now has always been uh, the identity politics and how it plays with your assumptions, and usually the, the shtick is, you know, somebody makes an assumption on somebody, some sort of stereotypical assumption, and then you know, that person gets angry and they're proven to be wrong and then maybe some part of that assumption turns out to right. be right. That there's one sort of like grain of truth in the in the in the racist assumption. Right, right. And uh, I think this Neil Patrick Harris part really gets that right and you know, he gets sort of three or four layers of, of identity and uh, especially when you add in the real Neil Patrick Harris. And I think that really works when it gets when you bring in somebody like Danny Trejo uh, who plays um, Harold's uh, wife's father? That you know, he's right? Machete. A, in case anybody doesn't yeah, recognize who Danny right, Trejo is, you know yeah. his face. Um, he, they don't really go anywhere with him, from what I remember. I mean, he comes in. He's, I guess, he's in, he initially appears very tough uh, in sort of his machete type character, and he, I guess, is a softy for Christmas. And there's like a Godfather Part Two style flashback where his dream has always been to come to a, America and get a Christmas tree. I appreciate but, that this movie has those playful little bursts. I also appreciate that it's short. It's 89 minutes long, yes. so it almost feels like an extended TV show. It's sort of like three sitcoms glued together. And uh, there's a little claymation segment where Harold and Kumar take some drug. I don't know. I they drink some spiked it's eggnog. It's supposed to be acid, but and, it's, a uh, it's a short trip, though. They have a brief, <laughs> a brief minute and a half where they imagine each other as claymation characters. And the claymation was apparently done by the guy who, who was the claymation director on Fantastic Mr. Fox, and it looks really great, I yeah, have to yeah, say. Yeah, it looks great. And the then movie they has snap a sweet spirit, kind of an MTV style, you know, like short, short hit spirit. Unfortunately, some of the hits just don't really land at all. Agreed. 
so we should just give Patton Oswalt about as brief a mention as he gets in the movie. It's They've announced and advertised that he appears in the movie, but uh, he doesn't appear after the first 10 minutes or so. He turns out to be the Santa Claus character. Who, He's a weed-dealing mall Santa. Exactly, exactly. And and it probably the only good part that comes out of, the mo- of, of that um, sequence of the movie is that you realize that uh, – Whoever does CGI for this movie has been able to render pot smoke in greater detail in 3D than ever previously seen. Oh, yeah. We haven't talked about the 3D. We have to talk about how the movie uses 3D a little bit. I mean, essentially having it be in 3D is kind of a joke, right? This isn't enough of an action or sci-fi or anything kind of movie to need 3D. So it's just self-consciously and playfully using 3D for silly reasons. Like, for example, to blow pot smoke rings at the audience. Yeah, and there's even a moment early on where one of the characters turns and looks at the screen and breaks the fourth wall to sort of point at the viewers and say something about how cool 3D is or whatever. And the joke is supposed to be that it's really not that cool. And I thought that the I've always felt like certain movies like Piranha 3D can have fun with 3D throwing shit at the screen. And this movie throws more shit at the screen than probably any other 3D movie I've ever seen. And sometimes it seems to be parodying the tendency to do that. Like when the guy turns to the camera and it's sort of lame. And at other points, it's clear that it's just you know they're throwing a a bone out to the you know high members of the audience as as sort of a psychedelic plus to the movie. Right. I guess if you're the kind of person who gets really giggly when you're you're stoned, this might be the kind of movie to see. But it certainly doesn't present much in the way of visual spectacle. It's not iTunes visualizer, you know, for right. this for the stoned viewer. Yeah, you'd be better off uh, watching Planet Earth or. <laughs> yeah. Right. Planet Earth. Yeah, I never thought of that. That must be that must be a great stoner. It's it's well established at this point. <laughs> So at the end, somewhat predictably, both guys have grown and changed in some way, right? Their friendship has, has been reignited by Santa's gift of a blunt and them having a, a great night together, right? So Harold sort of admits, yeah, maybe I've been too square, too uptight. In fact, the last we see of them, they're sitting on Harold's front porch together smoking a joint at a Christmas party, right? right. And Cowpen, Kumar, for his side— makes the pretty big step of basically, I guess, proposing to his girlfriend who we haven't heard word one from since the first scene. I guess he's going to be a dad. So my question to you is, is there going to be Harold and Kumar 4? And and are you looking forward to it? What's it going to be like? The movie implies that there will be a fourth. There is a moment during Neil Patrick Harris's uh, brief cameo where he says something like, I'll see you in the next movie. And I I think there were some pleased laughs in our uh, screening. But I sort of feel like with the direction that this, this series is going with them growing up rather than, you know, at the end of the first movie, they finished getting their burgers and then they're going to Amsterdam. And you were sort of I was excited to see them go to Amsterdam. I'm not so much excited to see Kumar enter fatherhood and Harold go back to. Being right. And how can they keep up their same level of debauchery when they become fathers? Although we didn't mention it, but there's also a really distasteful baby related subplot in this where the, the father, the really square dad who's who's Harold's new friend, comes along on this night of incredible debauchery and goes to this, you know, gangster's daughter's druggy party and he's got his maybe like one and a half year old daughter along with him the whole time and there's all these jokes that to me were just I mean in addition to being like sort of creepy they were just really unfunny about the daughter accidentally getting high and coke and taking ecstasy and whatever becoming like a party baby or something and those just sort of seem like the lowest common denominator stoner jokes that I found embarrassing so if Harold and Kumar 4 is all about let's drag our babies along on a night of Harold and Kumar craziness I'm, I'm not signing up yeah count me out don't mean to be a, a buzzkill but I don't think I'll make it out for that one. Thanks a lot for coming to this one with me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Please come spoil another movie soon. Would love to. Our producer is Chris Wade. Our editor is Melanie McAfee. And the executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.